Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This, to my loyal listeners out there, today's episode doesn't come as a total surprise because a spoiler in a previous episode, I mentioned Carlos Hidalgo and talked a little bit about my friend Carlos and that he was working on a book called The Un-American Dream, which is really uh, the focus for today. Uh, Before we jump in, I just want you to know that Carlos and I have had a really interesting history together uh, many, many years ago. We were actually competitors. Carlos was founder of another agency, and like a lot of us in this space, you'd be surprised or maybe not, we're very close with one another. Um, It's a small ecosystem in in digital marketing and consulting, and so Carlos and I got to know each other because we were both very early pioneers in the space and would share ideas with one another and how we were approaching the market, and we both had a strong, very strong passion for demand process methodologies and lead management. He and I knew each other for years and as competitors, as people serving the market. And then he took a pivot in his career. We stayed very close to one another and check in on the regular. And about five months ago, he let me know that he was working on a book. And I said, what's the book about? And he said, well, I'd like to send you a copy and have you read it. I read it. I went on to watch his TED Talk about work-life balance, and he'll give his perspective on that, and it really just stuck with me. And and one of the reasons that it stuck with me is these are things that I struggle with, and I know that uh, I'm going to guess a lot of you struggle with it as well. So I felt a very important departure from some of the normal topics that we talk about, like marketing technology and sales and marketing alignment, and really bring it to a personal level and talk about maybe things that we are all either overcoming or struggling together in uh, the American dream, or in Carlos's case, the un-American dream. So Carlos, thank you, man. Thanks for joining, and uh, I'm very, very proud of you. Uh, I haven't haven't written a book myself. I know the level of effort that goes into it, and I love the topic. So thank you for helping all of us out there with your perspective. Well, Dave, thanks so much. That means a lot. It means a lot to be on the show with you. I have enjoyed our relationship, which is now, I think, more than a decade. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about something that I am extremely passionate about. It's a very important topic. And I can tell you, year after year, uh, it's something, as I said, that that I've struggled with. And um, I would like to start off, though, before I share, maybe overshare some of the things that go on in my head on the regular, is, you know, what happened? What happened with you? that got you to this point where you said, I need to write a book about my perspective, what I experienced, and what you think others, and what we should do about it. How'd that happen? Yeah, you know, it was, it was quite a journey. Um, and also, Dave, you were, you were kind of, as you mentioned, with our relationship, you were a competitor, a friend, um, and it, even at one point, just because of the journey I took and some of the choices I make, I would say, I had looked at you as, as more of an adversary than a competitor. And um, I had to come to you and apologize for that a, a couple of years ago. But really, the, the punchline is I, I fell for the whole idea of the hustle and the grind, hook, line, and sinker. And uh, when we started Annuitas back in 2005, I had actually left 
BMC software, where I learned a ton. I made some great connections. So this is in no way a, a slight on BMC. I've got so thankful for the time there, but I was traveling nonstop. I had at that point four young children and I just wanted to be home. I wanted to be invested. So I wanted to consulting and then Annuitus took over or, or I, we started Annuitus and before long, things started to take off. So not only did I repeat the cycle that I had at BMC, but this time I really allowed my ego to drive what I had convinced or better word diluted myself. I was doing all for my family because this time I was getting industry recognition, recognition, being asked to speak, um, you know, coming in, being paid to speak, uh, people wanting my opinion and, and being quoted in different publications. And, um, and, you know, I look back and, and we live in a pretty small ecosystem. So it wasn't like I was on a main stage at the, you know, Apple, <laughs> Apple product launch. And then I wrote a book and you had people coming up and saying, Hey, could you sign my book? Could you do this? And really what happened, Dave, is I put everything I had into growing this business yeah. and, as human beings, we only have so much time. We only have so much margin and bandwidth. And so what I did, and I don't think it was anything that I woke up one morning and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I put my relationships on the back burner, and the primary one that took the hit was my marriage. And so what caused that pivot was coming to a crossroads through some really bad choices, just if I'm honest, neglect, because I was putting so much into the company, of, wow, I am... I'm on the fast track to a divorce and being uh, estranged from my family. This, but I thought I was doing this and then add to that, the more success we had as a company, yeah. the more unfulfilled I was and the more narcissistic I became. And I knew I had to make a change. I didn't know what that change looked like, but that's really what led to the pivot. And when you were, working as hard as you were and driving as hard as you were, I imagine in your mind that even though you said like you're on the road to a divorce, I bet at the time though, you felt like I'm doing all this for my family, right? Oh, hundred percent. As a matter of fact, I talk about that in the book. I have a chapter called the lies we tell ourselves. And the first lie that I told myself was I was doing this all for my family. Now to be clear, this was a family who repeatedly kept saying, we want you home. Right. And even when I was home, I was disconnected because I was thinking or working so long hours or thinking about the business. So even when I was here physically, I wasn't present and available. And so I absolutely told myself, well, this is why I'm doing this. It's for my family. And when we really hit the mother load, it'll all be worth it. So I was constantly peddling this promise of someday. Right. When I grew up, Carlos, and think about my dad and the great relationship that we had later on. When I was young, it wasn't that great. I mean, my dad is a great guy, super smart. Uh, he passed away three years ago. Growing up, my dad worked for the government, uh, and he worked for the government his entire career. And his day comprised of him leaving the house. We lived in Port Washington, Long Island, when I was very young, where I was born. And he would walk down or drive down to the train station in Port Washington, and he would take the train into the city, and he would show up for work, and he would take the train home, and he would come to the house, 
pretty much either grab the newspaper uh, if he hadn't read it in the morning and just chill out. And he and I would watch Star Trek or The Six Million Dollar Man or Bionic Woman or Charlie's Angels or, you know, whatever we were watching at the time. And we spent some, you know, screen time together. But there was no pager at home. There was no computer at home. There was no cell phone on his hip. He started and stopped his day, and that was it. And yet, even though because he had this very structured day and nothing going on outside of those hours, I still grew up as a son always wanting more time with my dad. And I remember you know, getting old, uh, older when I was in my teens, and I said to my dad, I said, Dad, how come we didn't play ball? as a kid together. Like, so many of my hobbies, unless we were building models upstairs, so many of my hobbies, uh, you know, we didn't do together. We didn't, we didn't kick a ball around and throw a ball around. And, and he said this thing to me, and I can still remember, he said, I actually was never good at sports. And I'm like, I mean, I mean that's why we didn't do that stuff together? He goes, yeah, he goes, I, I can't really throw a ball. Because I definitely kind of play soccer. And, and then he pointed to me and he goes, but we ski together. And I'm like, yeah. So it's interesting how sometimes you see the things that you don't, you you have perceptions, and and they're not reality. And so I thought my dad didn't want to spend yeah. time with me, and that he was just drained from work. But it's like we didn't have that kind of hobbies together. And then when we took up family skiing, I I think I started skiing when I was about seven or eight years old. And I don't know if you know, I wanted to ski for the U.S. ski team, so I became a great skier and have my dad to thank for that. And that was our thing together. And we would go skiing and go on the top of the mountain, no matter if it was like negative 15 at Cannon Mountain up there in, in, uh, in the Northeast. And if we hadn't had that conversation, it's like I kept going through life feeling like my dad wasn't there for me or wasn't interested in spending time. And it was computers, uh, which I wrote about in my book, and, and skiing. And Carlos, you, you know, I, I remember in your TED Talk, you're on stage and you were traveling and you made a phone call home and you called your son and you're having a conversation with him and he asked where you were and he was upset right he's like you're 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 always on a plane or you're always in a hotel and and that was upsetting for you you could visually see that in your ted talk just hearing that and i can i can relate to that with my own girls because i think like you back to the point is i work so hard i've always worked hard i mean i took two weeks after graduation uh, and started working for Microsoft, and I never took a two-week vacation ever for for decades until I started much later in life taking 10-day vacations and eventually took a three-week vacation with the family, all justifying it either because I like the work, but more that I'm working this hard for my family, for my wife, for my for my kids. And I still, Carlos, to this day, like this morning, show up every morning early, leave every day late. My kids are 23 and 21 now, and I do have a, I feel a very good relationship with them, but just to, just to be here on the couch with you and tell you my own feelings, like, I don't know work-life balance. I mean, I'm all in with my family when I'm all in, uh, at least I like to think so, uh, but it's, it's balance is something that I definitely struggle with, and, and work in a bit defines me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, you're not alone. And, and I, I want to be very clear. I don't I don't have a monopoly or I don't have this whole thing figured out. I think part of what part of the reason we do what we do is you and I are in a situation, Dave, where we like our work. Mm-hmm. I, I love what I do for a living. And yep. I feel very fortunate uh, to say that. But 
what I, what I realized is I had to, <clears throat> I don't believe in work-life balance, that term. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book I write about, you know, my daughter was a gymnast for 14 years and nothing. I had, I had multiple kids in sports and, um, had a kid, uh, one of my, my oldest son did theater and anytime he performed or I saw my kids out on the sports field, I would get nervous, but nothing made me more nervous than watching my daughter on a balance beam. And that's the picture I have as professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs of, of what we try to do. And so what I did with my leaving annuitus and starting this other company is I sat down with my wife, Suzanne, and said, I really need to define boundaries. Because to your point, our fathers did not have uh, iPhones and computers and wearable devices to always stay connected. So I knew uh, that I had to draw really hard boundaries that were going to be defined and that we were going to continually talk about that would allow me to do two things, Uh, be wholly invested in my relationships when I'm with them. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, which I really didn't anticipate, do the same thing with my work. So I have defined hours through the day that I know I am working. Uh, My door is shut. I am not calling friends. I am not going out to lunches. I am, I am working. And I got to tell you, my work product is so much better than when I put in the super long hours and getting to the office at five and shutting down at six thirty, seven o'clock and doing email as I'm supposedly, you know, doing something with the family and those boundaries. The reason I talk about boundaries versus balance is I think boundaries are so much more permanent and they're harder to move. And so what I've done is I've constructed my life and my job around what do I value the most? What do my clients value? And then how can I give the best of me to each of those things? So for instance, I took the step, one of my boundaries, I do not work on weekends. Now I've had some people say to me, Oh, that's, you know, that that's ridiculous. There's no way I could do that. It's uh, unachievable. And I used to think the same thing. I used to work Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday night. Uh, I don't do it anymore. And guess what? When I come back on Monday, the world is still spinning on its axis. My clients have not fallen apart. Um, Now, for instance, this Saturday night, I have to fly overseas for an event that I'm um, I'm going to be attending. So some people may say, oh, so, so you only live by boundaries when it's convenient. Well, here's the alternative. Before I committed to that event, we sat down, my wife and I sat down and discussed it. And I said, okay, well, how does this look? And then I have purposely set aside Friday afternoon where I'm taking the afternoon off to spend that time with my wife. I have uh, one of my college sons is home and then our youngest is home and we'll do some stuff. And then that does give me the ability to fly out Saturday night and this Sunday. And then we've also got some time planned for when I get back. So it's movable but it causes you to think a little bit more about where am I investing? Because literally there's 86,400 seconds in a day. We don't get those back. We got to plan those. And I think it's, we owe it to our families. We owe it to our closest of relationships to invest and cultivate and be present when we're engaged. I got a chance to meet Ariana Huffington when she was speaking at a conference and 
you know, she, her her story is is pretty well documented. She writes about it, and it led her to starting Thrive Global. And she talks about just the you know incredible amount of long hours and hard work that she was putting in until one day she woke up on the floor of her office um, and had collapsed just from exhaustion and overwork. So you know, it mm-hmm. took a physical toll on her. Uh, how did you? What was there a defining moment? for you when you said i've i've reached a point where i've gone too far how'd you how'd you know and what were the symptoms and signs no i didn't have a a moment like that there were many conversations i had with suzanne where um i either deflected or just shut it down or when i didn't want to hear i walked away um uh, or, or I came back with some inane excuse and we detailed, you know, both she and I detail that in the book. It's, uh, and she goes into to more detail than I do in her chapter. But I think it was more of a journey because what I first decided was at the end of 2015 was I have to change the way I'm doing some things. So I tried to do it within the context of the first agency. And I went to my team. I said, here's the changes I'm making. Like one of them is I'm only going to travel 10 days every month which when you think about that, that's still over 30% yeah, of right. your yeah. month is gone, right? But I thought I was doing this great thing. So if I had to point to that moment, it was, so it took me about 10 months of wrestling. And you well know, Dave, you've done the same. When you start a company, when you see it grow, it, it, you know, it, the term that a lot of us use, it becomes your baby. And so I was really trying to figure out how can I alter this thing, this growth that we've had with the number of, of folks and still tend and come back to what I committed to first, which was my family. And really the, the pivotal moment was in October. I had taken a red eye flight from Vegas to uh, Boston to be at marketing profs. And I walked in to the lobby of the Western at about 5 AM the entire flight. I could not sleep. Um, which is very rare for me. I can almost sleep everywhere. And I literally said, uh, almost out loud, but I don't want to freak out the person next to me. I said, God, I'm not a big sign guy, but I need something. What do you want me to do here? And that was it. And so I walk into the lobby and there's Andrew Davis, uh, if you know him, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do. And he was working on his laptop. So I walked over, I was, you know, we were just chit-chatting. He says, hey man, you look tired. And I said, well, yeah, I just got off a, a red eye. He goes, no, it's more than that. What's going on? And I was so taken back, like, okay, this is crazy. So I just started telling him some of the things I'm wrestling with. And he just smiled. He said, man, pull the ripcord. He said, you know what you need to do. You just need the courage to do it. And to this day, I am so thankful that Andrew had the uh, uh, sensitivity, the empathy, and also his courage to just call me. And, and challenged me in that way. And it wasn't this like, hey, man, what are you doing? It was very uh, friend-like. And he said, promise me today you will do something to start your departure. And I had every excuse at the ready, two kids in college, another one ready to go. And, and um, so I called Suzanne a couple of hours later and said, hey, I'm making the decision to leave. And she said, I'm, I'm, I, that's where I was hoping you would end up, but I know you needed to make that decision on your own. And so that's really was my pivotal moment after wrestling for 10 months of 
this is what I've got to do. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't have a big cash pile to fall back on. It was a big risk, but best professional decision I ever made. That's a great lesson for people who think about, you know, can they make such a pivot in their life and are they going to land on their feet and be okay? And I've seen so many people do it. And some of the best success stories in the world have come from people that have done, you know, a 90 degree or 180 degree. And I know some of the people listening to the program are younger than us. They're, they're 24, they're 28. Uh, Jake, if you're listening, and I know you listen to, I think, every episode, Mr. Maddock, you know, you're a young man and you are very hard worker. And, we, and we've, we've been chatting online about the pros and cons of that a little bit. Uh, there ain't nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing That's wrong right. with it. It is incredibly rewarding to build a business. It is incredibly rewarding to build a team and create careers for people and to earn a lot of money from your hard work. Nothing, hopefully, that Carlos and I are sharing is any sign of regret of what we do. We love what we do. It's just boundaries. And it's about not, it's about, I love, I love how you put it that way, Carlos, which is establishing those boundaries. Uh, Tiffany and I went to Napa Valley and went with uh, friends of ours. uh, And when I say friends of ours, I should say a fraternity brother of mine that I hadn't seen in 30 years and Mm -hmm. love the guy. Yet we hadn't seen each other in 30 years. And when he won Medal of Valor uh, in San Francisco, asked me, hey, I'm going to be in San Francisco. You want to come see each other? And I said, of course, you're winning the Medal of Valor. Done. And took the day off. And he was shocked that I just said yes. And then, you know, I I canceled everything on my calendar. And like you said, nothing blew up. You know, I could take actually a whole day uh, and get away and spend it with him. And then that led to a trip up to Napa Valley with him and his girlfriend. his wife had passed away from cancer, and he's a uh, you know, very close relationship. And I noticed, and I felt weird because I didn't know her at all, Carlos, that she could not stop on her phone, nonstop, no matter what winery we were at, in the car, driving, always on her phone. And I talked to Dave, and I said, Dave, I'm a little concerned about your girlfriend. Uh, and I said, she's always on her phone. He goes, yeah, she always is. I go, how do you feel about that? And he goes, that's just her thing. And we talked more and I, I, you know, don't have Dave's permission. Uh, and I don't want to bring too much of that, but I could, I don't see this in just her. You don't see this in just her. I, you know, when, when my guy friends, when we get together and we go out, we put our phones in the center of the table. And the rule often is, is if you pick up your phone, you're paying. Uh, to to create <laughs> to create a boundary uh, so that we're just all in and all present. I think that is the most important thing, which is work your butt off if you want. It's it's rewarding, you know. NFL players and NBA players and athletes and professional athletes. There's nothing wrong with hard work, but when hard work right. erodes your relationship with your wife, takes you know time is precious. Uh, you're only going to get to raise your kids once, and if you miss defining moments and, and important times with them, shame on you. And if you mm-hmm. don't develop, you know, my dad and I, right, we didn't, we didn't realize that we had a certain thing in common until we started talking about it. And I'm all in and, and, and present with my girls in that, in that way. What do you prescribe to cause? I'm, I'm just figuring it out and self-diagnosing and just continuing to work on myself. When I went to Cancun not too long ago for spring break, it took me a day and a half to kind of get off my phone. And the one thing that I did, here's a tip, the one thing I did is, uh, going forward after that is, I put my out-of-office message starting before I leave so that I'm not yeah. on 
the first day of vacation going, oh my God, there's a whole lot of people who sent me notes before I left that I haven't responded to, and they're going to think like I just didn't respond. So I let people know, like, I'm going to be out of the office, you know, on the dates coming up. So it's like, oh, he's not out yet, but but if he doesn't get back to me, that's what it is. And it was like so freeing for me to know that I wasn't disappointing people or not following up because that's something that's that's really important to me. So what what do you what are some guides that you put in in the book and to help people out uh, overcoming their either addiction to work or mobile devices or social media or as you put it just establishing boundaries. How do you how do you do it? Yeah, so that that's a great question and and I could go on and on about the addiction to our our devices and I see it even when you just next time you're at a stoplight, look around and see how many people reach their phones. Like seriously, we can't wait 45 seconds without being on our phones. Um, so clearly that <laughs> I don't write so much about that, but I, I think the distinction is there is, I actually believe there's nobility in hard work. So I am the son of an immigrant. My father came here uh, in 1960 from Cuba to flee the Castro regime regime. And I found and was modeled a man who worked his tail off. Um, but I think when it goes into a destruction of relationship, your personal health, and I mean holistically, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then it becomes hustle. And I love what Alex O'Hanigan talks about is hustle porn. And I think we have to draw a hard line and a distinction between working hard and hustling and grinding. And you've got guys out there like Damon John and Kevin O'Leary and Grant Cardone and Jack Ma who are putting stuff out there that younger people are buying into. And it is, it is unhealthy and Mm -hmm. toxic. So how do we combat? How do we combat that? I think first and foremost is in community. And what I mean by that is whether you have a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a significant other or very close friends that you engage with, sit down and define what do I value the most? What is it that I truly value? Um, More and more studies are saying people would take less money to strike a work-life balance. I actually flew back yesterday and talked to a guy. He was like, I make a quarter of what I used to make, but man, my work-life balance, he said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And so I'm like, okay, well, there's just an ad hoc example. Mm-hmm. So define that what those things are. For me, um, given the fact that we only have one left at home, it is time with my family. It is time with Suzanne. It is my whole health. So I make time and I guard that time to make sure that I'm at the gym, that I'm spending time with Suzanne, that I'm not, I'm not working all the time. And then literally we have defined what those boundaries are. It's not something we just kind of talked about in passing. We literally sat, sat down and said, this is what this looks like. So there is a point in time where during the day I'm done and I leave my phone in the office because I know how easy it is to have it in your back pocket and pull it out and look at it. All you're telling that person that you're with is whatever I'm looking at on my phone is more important. Yeah. We do the same thing when we go out is we only, one of us only brings one of our phones because we don't both need it. And so then we'll, if it's at dinner or whatever, and we have a rule even here at the house, the phone's stable. And so we really define what we value and then we put in protections against that. At the same time, 
I really value the work I do for my clients. So during the day, during the weekday, when I'm working, I set a boundary around that. I don't fill my day with distractions. I very rarely will respond to a text from a buddy during the day. And if they really need me, if it is an emergency, they'll call me. And so I think starting, starting there is uh, probably the, the best piece of advice. And we actually talk about that in the book is define those values and then start to define how you're going to uh, protect those. And the reason you do that in a community is to make sure that you're accountable to somebody for those. Because God forbid if I'm the only barometer of success, because I know my tendencies. And like I said, it is a continual process. Just the other night, I was on the couch and I got up and checked my phone. And Suzanne gently reminded me, she was like, hey, this is the second night in a row now you've gone outside that boundary to check work email. And I was like, you know what? That's really fair. You're exactly right. So if I didn't have that in my life, if I didn't have that gentle reminder and invite that as part of me establishing those boundaries, I would, I, I would work like crazy. And it's just not healthy. It's not, as a matter of fact, we become more unproductive the longer hours we work. That, that's the point that I wanted to make after reading the book. And I, and I think I sent you over some thoughts and some quotes that, that stuck in my head after, after reading it. And it's that, what I want to say, Carlos, is like, the person that I neglect the most is myself. Like, right. I'm there for my kids. I, you know, text them on a regular basis. I live with one of them now. Uh, she's, she graduated college and she lives with her fiance with us. And so we spend quality time mm-hmm. together. And my daughter, who's now a senior, congratulations, honey, by the way. Uh, she just finished her last final earlier this week. And so she is That's now awesome. a senior in college. And we communicate on the regular. The person who I don't necessarily communicate with and take care of as much as I should is myself. And how does, mm-hmm. you know, examples of that, like not scheduling doctor's appointment for myself that I should. If I know that I need to upgrade a prescription for my glasses, you know, booking that appointment. Uh, sometimes, as you said, you know, you're busy with work and you have stuff or someone's requesting time for me and I'll skip the gym and not go to that. And I'll do that often. Uh, and I could give just a big laundry list. But I, what I want people to hear is I sacrifice myself for the passion and focus that I have of building a business and all of my employees of having lots of great clients and always being there for them, for our partners. Right. You know, if I wake up on a Saturday morning and one of our technology partners texts me and wants to talk, I will have that conversation, Carlos, even though it's Saturday. You know, those boundaries, I don't mm-hmm. feel bad about it, especially because you know, everybody's sleeping and you know, I'm just in the backyard. But when you consume every minute and every hour of every day with giving to others and to work, even though it may be rewarding, what you don't have is that time to recharge yourselves. And some of the most productive time I've had in life, some of the best, absolute best moments in my thinking and clarity, uh, and I think you're making this point, is when I've been on an airplane, there's no Wi-Fi, my batteries are dead, and I'm just sitting there staring at the back of the seat, and I don't have the TV on, and I just mm-hmm. relax and clear my head and think and enjoy those quiet moments. That is such invaluable time, and I wish I, I wish I did it more, but that's, that's my weakness, is that I just don't put myself 
first. And uh, my kids call me out on it. And, and, well, good for your kids, and congrats to your daughter. That's a that's an awesome achievement to finish finals. But you you hit on something that's so important, and um, I kind of want to do a loop a little bit because I talked about my investment back into my relationships. But where I started, Dave, was working on myself because I cannot give the best of myself to my relationships or to my work until I have my own self figured out. And so the 10 months that I described about leaving uh, the company that I started and co-founded in 2005 I really refer to the end of 2015 and the 2016 as my dark night of the soul. And I had to really journey with the help of a, a strong community, the help of a great therapist to really get back to the core of who I am. Because I think so many of us, and I find this especially true in men, we place our identity and our worth into our profession. Yeah, sure. And so I had to kind of unplug step back and before, and I remember my, the, one of the first guys I worked with, he said, why are you here? I said, well, I said, I've done this. I've, I've screwed this up, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I need to get my family back. And he, and Clint very, very gently said, well, if you're here for them, I'm afraid I can't help you. You need to be here for you. And I remember being so, I literally was so angry with him at the point, like, are you not going to help me? I just told you, like, I felt like my life was falling apart. Are, are you going to help me? Or are you just going to sit there and pontificate about, but what he was really saying was it's not going to stick unless you get to the end of yourself and just say, okay, let me get back to what, you know, many people call their North star. So it doesn't matter if I'm leading a business, doesn't matter if I'm writing a book, it doesn't matter if I'm, growing a business, winning Inc. 5000 awards, what really matters where my identity and worth is, is that I have a spark of the divine. And because I am taking breath, therefore I am worthy. And my identification is in that. And once I came to terms with, yeah, I'm not perfect. I am a hot mess, just like everybody else is, despite all the great, what I call Facebook lives we like to portray. Everybody has something. And when I, it wasn't until I learned to embrace the mess and, and really find identity and worth in my own true self that I could then be the best me professionally and surely personally. Well, I'll tell you another observation of the better Carlos these days. Uh, I do remember you calling and apologizing, which was, uh, it was a very nice call. And I just, to this day, don't feel that you needed to make it. Like, I never felt that adversarial relationship. I know where some of that stemmed from. And I'm glad you mm -hmm. made that call. It was almost almost like someone going through 12 steps, right? You You decided to make some phone calls to some people. But here's what I really noticed is the biggest 180 degrees with you emotionally is that in the years leading up to you making your departure, you were angry at almost everything. And I think I talked to you about this once, like anything did. that was happening at a conference or happening in the industry, it, it, you were so critical and frustrated and angry. And I've sometimes seen that in myself, so I could, I could relate to it. 
And when you, you know, for everybody listening, like if if you're mad at everyone else, you're frustrated at the office, you're frustrated with the people, you're frustrated at work, and you're frustrated with the driver in front of you, and you're frustrated that there's no parking space, and you know, on and on and on of those frustrations, take a check and ask yourself how happy you are with with you, because knowing you, Carlos, that was a big crux, the the root cause of the anger and, and, and frustration, hostility was you knew down deep subconsciously you, you weren't happy with you. And now you're that you're exactly in right. a much better place, you see the world differently. People show up differently. The driver who's driving slow in front of you might be a cute little old lady just trying to get to the market uh, versus someone who's, who's on their phone. You, know, you, you, you flip from the negative to just a very happy, more spiritual uh, person. And, I, and I'm really, 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 really proud of you. Well, thanks, Dave. And, and I, I do remember that conversation where you said to me, like, man, you just, you just come across angry. And the, the reality is I was. And actually, I, I write in the, in the introduction that the first idea of the book, The Un-American Dream, came to me in 2016. And I had somebody say to me, boy, that sounds like an angry book. If I had written it then, it would have been an angry book because I was still really pissed off. But pissed off at the world, but to your point, you're exactly right. I was more angry with myself because I had bought into all of these things that I thought were going to bring me happiness, as if things and people are responsible for our happiness, because they're not. And that's a lot of that work that I did. And I can tell you, I have so much more joy, so much more happiness, and just an overwhelming sense of uh, thankfulness and contentment with where I'm at, with my life, with friendships like ours. Um, and so I, I appreciate that. And I, I, I just want to, again, thank you for, uh, there was no hesitation when I called you and apologized. Uh, well, let's talk about these things. And so that meant a lot to me in our relationship. I will, it is one that I value and one that I cherish. Thank you, man. Lo- love you, and I love the path that you are on. Um, before I share some closing thoughts, when is the book going to be available? Do you have a date yet for publish? Yeah, the published date will be June the 24th, and so I am literally, I got the final proofs today, so I am, I have printed it out. It is sitting on my desk ready cool. for me to go through as soon as we wrap up this, uh, this recording. So June the 24th will be the uh, official launch date. We're going to start some pre-orders uh, probably the first week of June. You can go to the first week of June. We will launch the unamericandream.com website, and you can find it on Amazon and any other digital book distributor around if you are not an Amazon uh, subscriber. Well. I think it's awesome. That is that is a close date. Uh, probably when this podcast airs, you're you're weeks away, um, if not already there. So congratulations on the publishing of the Un American Dream by Carlos Hidalgo. H I D A L G O. Uh, I want to share a closing thought. I'm sure you know, Carlos. You have a perspective on this. Uh, I was just at the Serious Decisions Conference in. Austin, Texas. And when I say I was there, I was not actually at the conference. I don't actually attend the conference content really anymore. I don't get as much value as I used to, but I do attend and love seeing our clients and working with our partners and meeting new clients. Uh, and I want to share with all of you an observation that is um, 
that I took away, and I've been seeing this a lot lately, it's this. The marketing community right now, the stress levels that I am seeing across uh, marketing leaders, marketing operations people, demand gen people are higher than they've ever been, higher than, I, than I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know, the topic today about keeping balance and setting boundaries is I want you to know that you're not alone, that these overwhelming feelings you have of your MarTech stack, the way too many frameworks being thrown at you, uh, the pressure that you have and demands on you to show impact in the business, to stitch all this technology together, to show marketing's value, to hire the right people, to find the right people, to not lose those people. You are all experiencing this. These are conversations, private conversations I'm having with people on the regular now, the amount of just overwhelming feelings they have. These are capable, talented people. But as a community, marketing has forever changed. It is way more complex and way more sophisticated than it's ever been, and you guys are all feeling it. And so I encourage you, just as as Carlson and I have these very open, transparent conversations that as you connect with other marketers and you see them and say, hey, how are you doing? And the answer is, great, how are you? Maybe they're not, and maybe they're experiencing the same stress and challenge you have, and I encourage you guys to have those conversations. And if, and if you're in sales, I don't think it's any different. That, that sales challenge of making those numbers and putting those numbers on the board, it's always there. That community always understands that. And I just wanted to share that observation because I've never seen it, Carlos, more than I've than I'm seeing it now in in the environment, and I, it's it's certainly a direct result of both the opportunity that is in front of marketing, just all of the great tools and technologies and methodologies available to them to drive growth. It's why demand gen exists to help people with that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just it's completely overwhelming them, and and it kind of comes back to the less is more that what uh, an under underlying theme of today which is having those boundaries and understanding that sometimes doing less is is more enrichment in your life and i i think it's very relevant to what we're seeing in the marketing community any any thoughts on that yeah i couldn't agree with you more i was just with a group of marketers um yesterday and saw that i get routinely i get texts from clients who will say to me hey i'm so I'm so stressed right now. There's so much on my plate. Um, I had one client who said to me, thanks for talking. You're sure cheaper than therapy. (laughs) Uh, Kind of joking, but she was immensely serious. And I think at the end of the day, we we have to step back and realize that nobody's going to die if if we don't get that last email out before we leave. Um, We are... Well, I think marketing profs showed it in their study, right? The, ha- the, the marketing, I think they call it the marketing happiness report, where the 50% of marketers they surveyed said they're completely unfulfilled in what they're doing. And so yeah. we definitely need a course, course correction. And I love that you called out the person who said, hey, I'm fine. How are you? Um, and again, I hooked him back to Andrew Davis, who said, hey, you look tired. That was really brave of him, and he took a risk because I could have told him to pound sand. <laughs> um, but but he, he noticed something. Yeah. And I think all of us, one of the things I love about B2B and especially the world in which we live in, Dave, is it is a community. And I say that, um, you know, you, you, you took a risk when you came to me and said, man, you're coming across really angry. What's going on with you? And at that point, I wasn't in the headspace to receive that the way I should have. But... I think that just that 
of just listening and helping each other and being empathetic and knowing there's a whole lot more behind that curtain of I'm fine um, that we should be digging into and at least letting people know, hey, if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay. But if you do, give me a call. On that note, give give Carlos a call metaphorically. Grab a copy of the Un American Dream when it comes out in June. Uh, if if you're still listening, then these things are resonating with you. Uh, your subconscious is telling you to keep listening and find balance and find uh, maybe a bit more happiness in your life. And whether it's the book or this podcast or just some self realization that there's a happier place than where you are in right now. Go after it. And if you want to chat with me, you can always reach out on LinkedIn. You can always reach out by email. Uh, and I'm sure Carlos would welcome the same conversations. And uh, I'm glad you guys are, are tuning in. That is going to do it for this episode. Thank you for always listening to Demand Gen Radio. So good to see so many of you face-to-face in the beginning of the year. Uh, every month, there's more and more listeners to the program. And the thing that I enjoy most is when you take the time and just drop me a note on LinkedIn or when I see you and say, hey, Dave, Dave I've tuned in to this episode or um, sharing your thoughts about the podcast and what you'd like more of or less of. It really means the world to me. I can't express that enough. It's a big effort to do this every single week and to find people like Carlos and everyone else that are willing to spend their time and share some great insights. So just knowing that you guys are listening in and getting value from it, it just makes all the difference in the world for me. And, and as we're talking about working hard, Carlos, right, and, and uh, applying ourselves to everything that we can, it's always nice to know when there is great impact. And so thank you for all the folks that have shared how the podcast has, has helped you. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.